So we are in 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 6, and uh, a couple of things to preface this. One is uh, we're going to be talking about some rather personal stuff this morning. <laughs> um, as you may be able to tell when you get to, the, your, to chapter 6 and see your section titles, all right, I'm going to be kind to you, all right, and be nice. But I did want to mention that Back when uh, me and Jamie Elswick were talking to Dylan about preaching, and we were scheduling it, he was like, do you want me to just jump in on 1 Corinthians? And I said, well, let's, let me just figure out where we're going to be at that time. And when I realized it was um, sex and marriage, uh, I said, you know what, Dylan, I'm going to spare you. <laughs> and you just do whatever you want, and I'll handle the... Awkward topics, all right? <clears throat> um, but what I want to say about this right up front is that on the surface, Paul, just like a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with a very specific issue in the church in Corinth. And you, if, you're, if you're not thoughtful about it, you can just limit your application to that specific issue. We kind of dealt with this last time we were talking about lawsuits between believers. And I was like, you know, look, I, I don't think it's a huge issue in Living Hope Church. <clears throat> of you know you guys suing each other constantly all right and so it would be easy to kind of say that and be like well on to the next scripture right and you have a similar issue here okay because apparently um, they had a problem in this church in addition to all the other problems of people guys going to see prostitutes and then not just doing that but also def- trying to defend it theologically all right and you could say well I don't think that's like a massive problem in our church. I mean, I don't want to be naive, but I don't, I don't see a lot of people going to prostitutes and then defending it on Facebook theologically, okay? Um, so again, it would be easy to kind of go, well, that's awkward, let's move on. But when you start looking at the reasons why Paul says what he says, it becomes really profound because this is probably the most important place where we get a theology of the physical body in the Bible, especially the New Testament. And so that's kind of where I'm going to focus this morning. We'll deal with some of the practical stuff that he's addressing because, again, I don't want to be naive. But when we look at the underlying things, I think what you're going to find is there's going to be a lot of healing for you this morning. And so don't miss the forest for the trees, okay? <clears throat> okay, so... Um, let's start with 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, and I want to um, point out a couple of things before we even read it, which is, because this can be confusing, just the wording, okay? Um, Paul is going to quote two common sayings at the time, and you'll know when he's quoting something and not saying it himself when you see the quotation marks in your English Bible, okay? Um, so that will help you kind of understand, and we're going to look at those two quotes after we read it, Okay? So here's what he says, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. All right. So in addition to the fact that we have a guy in, the, in this church who's laying with, to use the biblical terminology, his mother-in-law, and Paul's already dealt with that. We also have at least one or two, probably more, who are going regularly probably to local temple prostitutes and then coming back and, and telling everybody, hey, God's cool with this. Let me explain why. You should come with, right? That's what's happening. And I know that's disturbing thought and sort of shocking, but that's what's going on here. This is first century church. So again, I just want to point out, all right, when people say, you know, we just need to get back to the Bible, to the, to the early church, they were really doing it right. Qualify that statement, all right? Because this is the beginning, all right? This is, this is the apostles are still alive, okay, during this time. So things have always been a mess. Let that encourage you a little bit. Don't sit here on your high horse looking down on Corinth going... <laughs> Like, this is the state of things. We bemoan the state of the church in the West in 2022. But I can assure you these are not new problems. The problems we're having right now in the church are not new. They are not unforeseen. They are not unprecedented. I have, I'm no longer saying in these unprecedented times. They are highly precedented <laughs> right here in Corinth, all right? So let's look at these two quotes. This is sort of the framework of Paul's argument. Because you'd think you wouldn't have to say, don't go see prostitutes, all right? But he's going to, but what's, like I said, what's important here is look at why he says this. Quote number one, the first quotation says, all things are lawful for me. This is almost impossible to perfectly translate out of Greek. It's, a, it's one of those weird sayings that every language has that if you, if you were to translate it literally... It wouldn't make a lot of sense. One of my favorites in English is what's up. Or even we even shorten it to what's up. Like, can you imagine like some, some, somebody like 2,000 years from now reading one of your text messages and translating that into some other language and coming across what's up and being like, up? Like, why are people always asking what's in the air? Like, what was going on at that time that people were looking up in the air all the time and they would maybe attach all this philosophical meaning to the phrase or, or whatever and really were just saying, hey, how's it going? Or what's, and if you, it literally makes no sense. That's why this is my favorite dad joke. What's up, this guy, right? That's why that's a dumb joke, right? And so this is similar to that kind of idea, right, um, to translate it, um, the word there for lawful has to do with authority or authority to choose or determine for yourself what you will or will not do. It's very close to talking about freedom to choose, but probably I have the right to do anything is the closest to what he means what, or what this, this phrase meant that they were using in Corinth all the time. I like that. I have the right to do anything. I think that's a good, 
translation. Paul then quotes that saying again in verse 12, saying, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he says two things about this saying, right? This idea that I can do whatever I want with my body. I am the master of my own body. I own my own body. I'm in charge of it. Therefore, I can do whatever I want with it. That was the idea behind that. And Paul says two things about that. One is, you might be able to get to do anything, but is it good for you, right? Later, Paul will use the same phrase and say, is it good for others? But here he just focuses on, is it good for you? Like, you may be able to eat that chocolate cake, but is it, is it good for you, <laughs> right? That adds a wrinkle to that. The other thing he says is, I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, addiction is a problem. You, you don't do things that are going to master you, right? So he, po he points out two problems with this philosophy. This points to the first reason why they believed visiting prostitutes was good and right. They felt that they, since they could do it, then it was allowed. It's probably not, um, you know, they probably don't mean this in a legal sense. They most likely would believe that, that they had achieved a level of spirituality above the physical that it simply didn't matter. We'll see this in the next point. They had this belief the church did, that they had kind of leveled up spiritually to this level of spirituality and connection with God that, that it transcended mere physical issues. That the body is kind of an early form of Gnosticism. That the body and the physical doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to your body. It doesn't matter what you do with it. It doesn't matter what you do for pleasure or not. What matters is what's going on inside and that you have attached yourself in the spirit with God and you are a truly spiritual person. Now that sounds like modern day belief systems, doesn't it? It's my body, I can do what I want with it. If I, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I can do what I want. And Paul is taking issue with that. It may also have been a perversion of the doctrine of grace taught by Paul. If God will forgive me, I can do what I want. Maybe they were taking Paul's teaching about grace and about identity, which is where we're going to end, ironically, this morning. You're taking that teaching, well, if God's forgiven me, if, if I'm declared righteous, I can just do whatever I want with my body. Who cares? I'll just ask God to forgive me. And so, woohoo, party down, right? All right, quote number two is in verse 13. He says, he quotes, for food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. If God's going to destroy the physical, they obviously didn't believe in the resurrection, that's a problem. If God's going to, why they believe that, there's, that God's going to destroy your body, your body's going to die, it's going to go into the ground, it's going it's to decay, it's going to waste away, it's going to disappear into the dust, so who cares what we do with it while we're alive? Their belief was that we're all going to die and our bodies waste away. The body is for pleasure and to be used up until it runs down, nothing more. It's another really common belief. Life is short, and then you die. So enjoy life however you can. So Paul's primary answer to both of these errors and the centerpiece of his theology of the human body is the resurrection of Jesus. You see this in these verses. If the body is not important to God, why raise Jesus from the dead? That's his central problem. So if this is true, that your body doesn't matter, and what you do with it doesn't matter, 
and it's inconsequential to who you are. That who you really are as a person is not your physical form, it's what's inside. So that when you die, that's just your, your transportation in life, and it means nothing. If that's true, which is what they believed, then why would God raise Jesus from the dead physically? Because Jesus didn't die spiritually. He was alive in the spirit. Why would God bother to do all, go through all the trouble of raising him physically from the dead in the grave and having him appear physically to so many people after? It's because Jesus, at least part of who he is and part of who we are as human beings, is our physical body. You realize you're going to have a body in eternity? Your body is going to be raised. You're going to be joined with it in whatever perfect form it is. Whatever God's perfect design for your body is, that's what form you will be in forever. You won't just be this floating kind of disembodied spirit sitting on a cloud with no physicality. You will have your body forever. That is part of who you are. It's an essential part of who you are. Just like God raised Jesus from the dead physically, he will raise you physically. You are you in large part because of your physical body. Without that part of you, you are less than you. So if you were to die right now, your body goes in the grave, or it's cremated, whatever you do, your spirit is with Christ in heaven, you're not complete. I mean, that's going to be great. But you're waiting for something for a time until Jesus comes back, right? What are you waiting for? What you're waiting for is to get your body back. And until then, you're actually not fully, perfectly satisfied because there's, you're waiting for something. Even if you die right now, you still have a waiting thing. That's sad. I mean, it's better to wait with Christ in heaven than to wait here, okay? Don't get me wrong. But you're still waiting for something because the, the full you can't be completed because part of you, part of what makes you, you, is in a grave, in the ground, rotting away. And it's not until you're rejoined with that part of you that you are fully you as God designed you to be. This is hugely important. Paul's going to point out a couple of reasons why. The second reason Paul gives is that we are joined with Christ. This is not just a spiritual, unseen reality. If our body is part of our identity, then our bodies are part of our unity with Christ. I love, this is profound. He says, You're, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about your body. Your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means your body is sacred, sanctified set apart, holy unto God. I don't know about you, but this puts a whole different perspective on this sack of meat. Because <laughs> it's just not a, it's not a sack of meat anymore. It's something God made, and it's something God set apart and made sacred and made holy and chose and shaped by his own hand, and it is an essential part of me. When we say Ben Cotton, we're not just, from God's perspective, when he thinks of Ben Cotton, 
He doesn't just see me as a spiritual being. He sees me as a physical and spiritual being together, and that is the whole me. And to treat my physical me with disdain or disrespect is a sin against God. And this is why, this is Paul's reasoning. This is his theological reasoning for saying to these people, don't go see prostitutes. So becoming one flesh with a prostitute with a body that is also unified with Christ is a terrible defilement. You're sinning, sinning against Jesus and you're sinning against your own body. Now here's what we need to remember is you can't defile Jesus. When Jesus comes into contact with sin, sin dies. So when Jesus lays hands on a leper, Jesus doesn't get leprosy. The leper gets cleansed. When Jesus hugs a sinner or sits down at the table with them and eats, because Jesus ate dinner, he hung out with prostitutes. He did not get defiled by their sin. They got cleaned up. Amen. Okay? So you need to remember, that's, become, that's the key to kind of where we're going to land. That's where the healing is, is in that idea. But Paul says, look, if you're unified with Christ, you're hanging out with Jesus. He goes where you go. Physically goes where you go. So when you go to see that prostitute, he's there. You're bringing him along. So maybe you shouldn't, right? Don't do it. So our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of, Spirit of Christ does not only indwell our spirits, he indwells our physical bodies. You cannot separate our bodies from us, from the us that is saved by grace and filled with the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are meant to be used for worship. This is Paul's idea. Present your members for worship, not for defilement. Your body is sacred. It's holy and set apart for worship by Christ himself, paid for by his death. Think of this. Jesus died for you physically. He didn't just die for you in a spiritual sense. He died for your body to set you apart, your whole person apart for worship. It's vital to who God created you to be. It's important enough that he died for it, and it is eternal. Your body is eternal. It's going to, not right now, right now it's dying. It's decaying. But the ultimate end to your body is that it will be forever. Now, that's hard for us to think about because we feel the decay every day if you're like above 30. <laughs> you feel it. Like you hurt yourself sleeping. You got to have a plan to get out of bed. You can't just jump out. You can't just hit the floor and start going. You got to say, okay, first I'm going to sit up and stretch a little, you know, then put my feet on the floor, then pause for a minute, get my bearings, then stand up, move around, move some short distances. Then when I think everything's fine, then I can move. Then I come to the stairs and I got to take a minute because stairs are dangerous, right? But, you feel the decay in your body, but you've got to remember, the truth about it is, that's just what sin has done to it. It's not God's design. This thing is forever. And when I see you in heaven, I will recognize you, not by your supernatural aura. <laughs> I'll recognize you because I've seen your face before. When I see Gail, I'm like, there's Gail, I know Gail, I know that face. I know the way she walks. 
I know the sound of her laugh. I know what she looks like, so I know it's Gail. That's cool. We're not just going to be like, ooh. I sense Gail is near. (laughs) See how this changes how we view this thing now? I think it's really profound. So he gets into the implications of this for marriage, and we're going to, there's a very long section here on marriage and singleness, which we'll do next week, so I'm going to kind of save that whole ball of wax for next time. But this first bit about marriage is strongly tied to what he's just said, okay? So in the very next section, we find Paul addressing another group in the church that's apparently we're teaching that married couples should not be having sexual relations with each other. Now, what a mess this church is. you got one group going to prostitutes and then defending and being like, hey, guys, it's okay. I found a verse, right? And then, and then you got another group going, who are married going, you should never be together. It's wrong. All pleasure is bad. And Paul's like, oh, I can just see him going, okay. i got to address both things, all right? But it's the same theological foundation. Isn't that cool? He uses the same word here, authority, right, freedom, to say that what the wife shares that right over her body with her husband and he shares his body with her. This is what the marriage covenant does, is that you no longer have exclusive rights over your own body. You are giving your body to your spouse and your spouse to you, okay? You're one flesh. That's what Genesis teaches. Therefore, his idea is, be with each other a lot. Don't not be with each other. Okay? You got verses, kids. Right? Go for it. The unity between husband and wife is a symbolic picture of our unity with Christ. So sex is meant for intimacy inside of marriage between a man and a woman. It's a celebration of being one flesh. So it's never about self. I wish I had learned this earlier. That even in marriage, sex is not about you. It's not, not about your desires. It's not about you getting what you want. It's still going to be about the other. And the beautiful thing about that is when both spouses are doing that, and that's their heart, it's way more fun. It, and it's the opposite when one's not serving the other. So guys, look, we have a terrible reputation in this department. We have a terrible reputation for being selfish in this area. So stop it. It's not about you. It's about her, all right? Make sure she's happy before you're happy. I'm trying to be very careful in how I'm talking about it, all right? But y'all know what I'm saying, all right? People who say the Bible doesn't relate to my life have not read the Bible correctly, okay? Paul's being as clear as he can, and I am too, without being gross, all right? But that's the heart of this, is you belong physically to each other. And that's a powerful, beautiful, wonderful thing. It's part of the point of marriage. It's to say, your body matters, and we have a covenant with each other, just like you have a covenant with Christ. You've been unified with Christ, so treat this thing sacred, and like it's holy, and treat others as though they are sacred and holy physically. I love that. This doesn't only apply to visiting prostitutes. 
as in the case of the church, also doesn't just apply to marriage. It would also apply to all sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, which would include pornography. So think about this. When you watch pornography, you're joining in the defilement of someone else's sanctified body and soul. In fact, you are contributing to it and encouraging it. You're watching someone else be defiled and treat their sanctified, holy, created by God body as though it were worthless and you are even contributing to it and enjoying it. That person on the screen may not be personal to you, but they are personal to God. He formed them in their mother's womb. He means for them to be set apart for worship just like you, and the opposite is happening, and we're millions of people, billions of people are watching it and enjoying it and contributing to it and encouraging it. I'll tell you, this is the key to getting free from pornography, is recognizing that the person you're looking at on the screen has a soul and has a body set apart by God and is meant to be holy and sacred and unseen and covered. And when you see that person has a soul and they're being abused and mistreated before a holy God, all of a sudden it's not sexy anymore. And it breaks your heart. That's the key. This is the basis for our ideas about modesty as well. I have blown this with my girls, and they have quickly corrected me over the years. How many dads, like me, have said, don't wear that. Do you know what's going on in guys' minds? That is the wrong approach, fellas. If you've done it, repent. I have. What's the right approach? Your body is sacred. It's holy. It's made by God, so cover it up. We cover things that are valuable, and your body is valuable. How many women over the centuries who have been sexually assaulted have been asked, well, what were you wearing? What were you doing in that part of town? Were you asking for it? What is that? So we blame the woman and we make it okay for guys to be pigs. Don't you know men are pigs? So we've just excused men to be pigs and blamed the women for when they act out. And what Paul would say, I'm sure, if he were to be asked this question, he would say, your body is sacred. All of you need to see. So we teach our boys, women's bodies are sacred and holy and sanctified by God. You treat them carefully like they are of infinite value because your body is actually of infinite value. It will be forever. And so you treat it like it's sacred, like it's the most holy thing you've encountered. And we teach our little girls the same thing. So sweetheart, cover it up. It's, it's not to be uncovered. It's to be covered because it's sacred, not because of some guy who's an ogre. I see, this transforms like everything. <laughs> the implications of this very simple idea, I think, is enormous. We could also talk about many more implications, um, diet, exercise, suicide, murder. That's why the death penalty is in the Old Testament, because the body is, we're made in the image of God, and to kill the body is heinous. 
Body image, self-esteem, how you see your body. I think that's obvious. Funerals, what we say at funerals, what we say about the person's body at funerals, how we treat a person's body after they've died. We treat it with dignity and care. If you're in the medical field, this is your life. You're treating bodies every day. You're helping heal bodies every day. You're, you're, you're talking to people about their bodies every day. And this is, this is why you do what you do, is this body is sacred. It's set apart. It's made by God. It's actually a big deal. And so I'm going to treat it with dignity and care, even if the person I'm treating doesn't treat it with dignity and care. Burial versus cremation. That's a fun topic. I'm not getting into it. It's why, I think it's one of the reasons why we ask God to heal our bodies. Ever thought about this? Like, Lazarus is a good example. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But more than likely, anyway, at some point he died again. Like, what was gained? Well, there's a lot, a lot of layers to that. But I think one layer, like, why, why would I ask God to heal me if he, I'm just postponing the inevitable? Well, one of the many reasons is my body is sacred. It's holy. It's not working right. It's doing stuff it's not supposed to do. It's not functioning the way it should. And because it's holy and sacred and I care for it, and I know, God, you care for it, will you come and cleanse it and make it right? So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We already read this. I want to read it again as a way of focusing us on how to get healed. He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, or therefore, glorify God in your body. Notice in those three sentences that your identity comes before what you should do. You see that? As always what Paul does. Being Identity always precedes doing with him. Every single time. And once you see it once, you see it everywhere. And he does the same thing right here. He says, first he says what you are, what God has declared you to be, and then he says, based on that, do this. So he says what you are is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Is there anything more sanctified and holy than the place where the Holy Spirit lives? No. Because he doesn't just live anywhere. When you look at the, the, the intricate details of how the temple was constructed in the Old Testament, everything specified, everything, the, the best, gold and silver, and all the incense everywhere and specific dimensions, he's describing you. He made you with that kind of specificity, and you are where the Holy Spirit lives. That is who you are, therefore, act like it, Right? Glorify God in your body. Use your body for worship. Treat it like it is actually like you would treat the temple where God lived in the Old Testament. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You, are, you were bought with a price, and the price was the life of Jesus. So if that's the ultimate value, it's the life of Christ himself, and that's the price that was paid, how valuable must you be? Therefore, glorify God in, you, in your body. So you being the temple of the Spirit is not in any way contingent on what you have done with your body 
or what anyone else has done to it. It is contingent on the declaration of God based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because I know, as I've been reading the preceding verses, that probably everybody in this room has done something to defile your body at some point. And many of you have had other people do things to you. And you're a victim of someone else defiling your body. And it has dramatically affected the way you see yourself. And the answer is not to try to minimize what you did or what was done to you and say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm, just real, I'm not going to care anymore. I'm just not going to think about it anymore. That is not the answer. The answer is to say, what does God say about me? What did Jesus die for? He did not just die for you spiritually. He physically died for your body to be set apart to worship him forever. It's part of what the resurrection means. If this was not true, then why resurrect Jesus at all? So what Jesus was raised for was to say, I have set you, all of you, apart for me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, physically and spiritually. Nobody, not even you, can change that. It is forever permanently true, sealed and delivered by the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. He said this earlier, we read this last week in verse 11, he says, and he listed all those sins, remember? And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Whether you have sinned against God and your own body, which I think is one of the interesting things, that you can actually sin against your body, he says. Or you have been sinned against. The declaration from God is the same. You were bought with a price. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So our repentance flows from this declaration. It does not precede it. We repent and we change our behavior because of who we are, not so that we can become who we are. I think a few weeks ago the way I said it to you was we don't become righteous by doing righteous things, which is very counterintuitive, isn't it? You are righteous and righteous people do righteous things. <laughs> he declares you to be righteous and that makes you do righteous things. It is completely the opposite of what you and I think. And it is the opposite of what Satan tells you every single day when you wake up. And it's the opposite of what you say to yourself about your body every day. This body, weird looking as it is, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives here. It's kind of a big deal. I'm going to treat it with care. So I want us to pray together um, because I'm very aware that there's a lot of shame that comes with this topic. Um, shame over what we've done, shame over what's been done to us. And this is where freedom is, is in the truth. You can't get free without the truth. You can't. As long as you lie about who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you, as long as you're not honest, you won't be healed. So we start with the truth, and the truth it's not just the bad thing. The truth is what God says about you. So what I want to pray is that the Holy Spirit, especially for those of you who are like wrapped up in shame over this, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and tell you what I've been telling you, which is what the Word of God is telling you. 
that you would actually hear him say over you in spite of what you've been through. You actually hear the Spirit of God declare over you holy, sanctified, set apart physically no matter where you've been or what you've touched. That's what the truth is. So why don't we stand up and I want to pray for you. God, I know that this truth is something that gets attacked in all of us from an early, early age, and it is more and more in our culture just warred against, violently resisted. That our bodies are designed and shaped by you and set apart for worship. God, I know that for many of us, maybe all of us, there's so much shame wrapped up in our bodies. And the enemy has nurtured and nursed this array of dysfunctional ideas in our minds about it. And it's so destructive. We've seen all the implications and there's so many more that we could talk about. And all those areas of our lives that are touched by this one thing. So Holy Spirit, I pray that we would hear you speak to us right now. That you would speak the truth, not just over our inner selves, but over our physical bodies. We would hear you say, you, I shaped you, I formed you, I made you. You're sacred. You're my dwelling place. You, where, you are where I have chosen to live and take up residence. And I'm proud of where I live. I'm overjoyed about where I live. God, I pray for those that have used their body for all kinds of pleasure, like they're just, like it doesn't even matter, like life is short, who have said, I have the right to do anything, <laughs> just as the Corinthians were saying. God, I pray that you would speak to them about the sanctity of their body and your intention for it. God, that they too would be overwhelmed at what you say about them. And they would start right now treating themselves as though they're sacred. God, teach us all what it means to worship you fully with our whole self. And God, lastly, I pray for healing for everybody here. God, that you would demonstrate this truth by restoring physical bodies in this church. God, that we would taste of 
what it will be like in eternity to have a physical body forever that works perfectly. God, I pray that your kingdom would come now in that respect in this church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.